Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, about six years ago, I needed to purchase a vehicle. Anyone here ever purchase a vehicle? It's a lot of fun, right? And uh, I remember I was looking for a specific type of vehicle. I was looking for a Honda Civic in black with a manual transmission. Still not sure why I wanted that. Um, I think I wanted to be young or something. And so I was looking for that specific car. I was looking for used Honda Civic, black, manual transmission. Couldn't find it anywhere locally. And so I began to widen my search on the internet. And uh, when I did that, I found one in London, Ontario, which is about a three-hour drive away from where we are. And uh, I remember uh, looking at the car online, looking through the pictures, and I read all the features and benefits. You ever see the listing on a vehicle? There's all this stuff on there that shouldn't be on there. Like it has all-season radials. Ooh, it has tires or intermittent wipers. Have they even made a vehicle in the last 30 years that didn't have wipers that you could adjust the speed? Anyway. I'm going through the list, and I'm kind of filtering through all the list of features, and I remember seeing it had air conditioning. That was important. Worked for about a year and a half. Uh, So it had air conditioning, and it had uh, power windows, and then it had something that I was totally unprepared for. It had a valet key. I'm willing to bet your car is nicer than mine, but does not have a valet key. Uh, It's a special key that allows you to lock the trunk so you can keep things in there, and the valet who parks your car won't steal your stuff. I've never used it once, but I have it, Okay. And, uh, and I remember I, I thought, this car is fully loaded. It even has a valet key. And so I called the dealership up. We made arrangements, figured out the price. They threw in a free tint job. It was all looking really good. And uh, my wife and I, on my day off, we drove up to London or across to London. And we get to the dealership. And, of course, you're going to take the car for a test drive before you purchase it. And he hands me the keys. And the first thing I notice Hey, there's a different color key. It's a valet key. Oh. And, then I, and then I look at the regular key, and there's no buttons on it which alarmed me at first. I'm like, doesn't every car now have buttons on it? And so I thought, well, whatever. And I went over the car and I opened the door and I got in and uh, I went to reach for the button to unlock my wife's door so she could come with me. And there was a plastic plate where the button should be. And so you guys can imagine what's happening now. I'm realizing that all these features and benefits the car had, it didn't have the one I really needed, which is the automatic lock function. So I had to reach across the car and open it for her. I mean, these are first world problems, folks. But, but if you know me, you know I have a thing with locking doors. I lock every door I walk through. It drives the people at our office crazy. My kids go in the backyard to go on a swing, and they come back, and they find the patio door has been locked mysteriously. I lock every door. And, uh, and so for literally, um, we went for the drive. The car was fine. Ended up deciding, okay, this isn't a deal breaker. We've come all this way. We're buying the car. So... For the past six years, every time I get out of my vehicle, multiple times a day, I have to circle the vehicle and pull all the door handles to make sure that my vehicle is locked. It is absolutely frustrating. And I tell you that because as I think back on the decision, I wish they would have just said, here are the features the car doesn't have. Right? Instead of, here's all this junk that you don't need that this car has, if they would have just told me what it didn't have, I probably would have made a different decision. And it's a funny story, but... In reality, many people choose faith that way. They come to church, they hear about Jesus, they hear about the Bible, and they go, oh, they hear all the features and benefits, and they're like, oh, that sounds wonderful. I think I'll, I think I'll go with that. I'll choose that one. 
And what they realize later in life, perhaps, is that they're not actually following Jesus. They're following their idea of Jesus. And they're not actually living out what Jesus said. They're living out what they think Jesus said. And that's why we're doing this message series called Things Jesus Never Said. Because literally, sometimes we have ideas about God, ideas about church and the Bible that aren't biblical. And yet, they're found in our hearts and in our minds, and we live as though they're biblical, and of course, they're not. So, maybe we'll start with a few fun ones, okay, just to get everyone warmed up before we land on the real heavy subject for today. That's a little warning for what's coming. Um, Jesus never said, follow me, and you will be healthy, wealthy, and thin. I mean, it would be nice if he said that, because, I mean, go to church, read your Bible, never gain weight. (laughs) Everyone would be a Christian. I mean, that would be awesome. Jesus never said that at all, at all. Uh, Here's another one. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven will always get the best parking spot. (laughs) If you go to Costco on a Saturday, it's pretty bad, you know. And and I, I imagine there are people who literally pull into the parking lot and they're praying, dear Jesus, please get me a spot close to the front. And you see someone pulling out and it's like, thank you, Jesus. And you pull right in. You don't even realize you're cutting off uh, you know, a senior lady who's been waiting for that spot. But it doesn't matter. You're thanking Jesus because he answered your prayer. And I, I like to imagine in my own twisted sense of humor that Jesus is up in heaven looking down on the situation going, no, I wanted you to park at the back of the lot and walk across the lot so you could lose weight. That's the thin thing. I, anyway, <laughs> that's my twisted sense of humor. But today we're going to talk about something Jesus didn't say. And while I'm going to admit at the outset that this is probably not something that you would say you believe, I want to challenge everyone today to dig deep because I think that, that this statement is an underlying assumption that is present in our hearts at some point in our lives. And, and you'll see why as we continue. But here's, here's the statement that I want to address today. Jesus never said, follow me and you won't have bad days. Wouldn't that be amazing if that was the case? That if following Jesus meant that everything in your life was going to be up and to the right, that you wouldn't have trouble like those other people, right? That your relationships would always be healthy, that your kids would always be respectful and responsible. You're like, we know it's a lie now. Your car would never break down. Your cup just always overflows with blessings and blessings, and you won't have bad days. Wouldn't that be amazing? Sounds, sounds like a timeshare pitch, actually. <laughs> you know, it's like, that sounds too good to be true. Jesus actually never said that. He never promised that. And I know that some of you already know this. Uh, Yesterday I was sitting on the deck and my 11-year-old son Nathaniel says, Hey, Dad, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I'm going to tell everybody how Jesus said that if you follow him, you'll never have bad days. And he just kind of stopped. I'm like, what do you think? You think that that Jesus said that? He's like, no, Dad, I don't. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is pretty obvious. I said, why not? He's like, because of people. That's actually pretty accurate. We're going to go there. All right? But if if it was true that following Jesus meant everything would be great, you'd never have trouble in your life, you'd never get sick, you'd never have financial problems, relationship problems, that would be amazing and everyone would sign up. They'd all be like, I'm in, I'm in with both feet. And as I said, I know that none of you would actually say, I believe that, um, because you guys are smart, smarter than my 11-year-old son. But I'm willing to bet that... um, that maybe somewhere in your heart that idea or belief has taken root somewhere. Jesus never said that if you follow him, you won't have bad days. In fact, uh, Jesus said some hard things. I don't know if you've ever read the words of Jesus. If you read the red letters, he said some things that make you go, ooh. Right? He He said some things that make you go, ha. And 
I've said this before. Jesus never sold himself. He wasn't good at marketing. Like, there's some things I'm like, Jesus, if you'd have just said that a little differently, people would have loved you more. People would have followed you, and they wouldn't have walked away. But Jesus just told the truth. He told it like it was, and he, saw, he said the truth out of love. And so Jesus didn't say, you won't have bad days. Here's what he said. You guys ready for it? You braced for it, right? Hold the hand of the person next to you. Unless you don't know them, then don't. Um, here's what Jesus said. John 16, verse 33. And don't worry. We're going to cover what he said before and after. So don't, I'm not misquoting this. We're going to look at the context. But here's what Jesus said in John 16, verse 33. In the world. How many of you live in the world? It's like 25%. The rest of you, (laughs) you're somewhere else this morning. In the world, he says, you will have tribulation. And that word tribulation is translated in some translations, trouble. It's like, Jesus literally promises that if you live, if you're alive, you will have trouble, difficulty, bad things will happen. Like, is this a surprise to anybody who's been alive for more than a week? In this life, you will, he's like, it's, it's actually a fact. Some of you are thinking, I'm so glad I came to church today. You know, I came to be encouraged, and I even brought a friend, and I was like, it's always so exciting to come to church, and then this, like, in this world, you, you will have trouble. Now, notice Jesus says you will have, not you might have. Anybody catch that? Jesus is like, you will. It's guaranteed. It's assured that that things will go wrong because you're in this world. And the reason why he can say you will have trouble and not you might have trouble is because we live in a broken world. Have you noticed this? I know yesterday was beautiful. And you might be tempted if you were sitting out in the sun yesterday to be like, the world is perfect. You saw a sunset and you're like, Mother Nature is so beautiful and kind until she tries to kill you, right? Right? Because if you've ever been on a beach during a hurricane, and you know it's like, okay, there's something wrong here, right? And we look at the world through our, our lens of, of wealth and technology like, like we live in the north. And in the middle of January, most of us are sitting inside of our warm houses, and the walls are filled with this thing called fiberglass insulation, which keeps the cold out and the heat in. And our houses, are, a lot of them are heated with natural gas that's piped from across the country. Makes winter a little more bearable, wouldn't you agree? We reach in our fridge and grab some fresh strawberries from California. Like, this winter thing isn't so bad at all. Like, it's pretty good. And you look out and you see the snow falling. It's minus 15. And you're thinking, this is a winter wonderland. Kids, get off your devices. Go outside and play in the snow, right? We wrap them in Gore-Tex and thin slate. And we send them out to enjoy the beautiful winter. And like six minutes later, they've rolled one tiny snowball. And they're in crying because they're frozen. So... So you give them hot chocolate, and you warm them up, and you go, isn't this a wonderful world? Uh, My family likes to go to Pioneer Villages. It's a whole different story, minus all the technology. Uh, We were at one, I don't even remember which one, we've been to so many, and uh, and this this lady was standing there, she's giving us the guide, and we're in this house, and it's literally a little log cabin, like a one-room cabin, with like bark kind of roof. And we're in this thing, and she says, yeah, there was a family of six or whatever living in this house. It was like, surprising how many people lived in this little space. And they got an old wood or old uh, stone fireplace, no, no metal, no fans, just like a little fire. And she said, in the winter, she pointed at the bed. There's like a double bed with ropes and straw on it. And she said, the entire family would sleep in the same bed, including grandparents. And, and I'm thinking, I, Not because they liked being close, because they didn't want to (laughs) die. See, they understood something about the world we live in. 
The world we live in isn't broke. It's broken. It isn't perfect. Now, in the book of Genesis, at the very beginning, it talks about how God created the heavens and the earth, and he declared it is good. And when we look at the world, like on days like yesterday, when the sun is shining, we see a reflection of this good earth that God created, but it's broken. It's broken. It's not perfect. It's not as it was because sin came into the world, and the first thing that happened was nature turned, and then the human heart turned. And Adam and Eve, who had once walked with God, were separated from him. And their kids, Cain, kills his brother Abel. And we see this destructive force of sin and death enter into the world. So we live in a broken world. That's one of the reasons why Jesus says, you will have tribulation. But we also live in a world with broken people. And I know you know this as well. This isn't news to you. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud says, hey, if you have a belly button, which I hope everyone does, then you have issues. Because you are born into the family of Adam. And all of the dysfunction and sin, you were born into it. That belly button is the proof. You can reach down and touch it if you want. It's a little weird. But you were born. So you could just tell somebody if you're sitting near them, say, I didn't know you were part of the Adam's family. (laughs) It's a dysfunction, right? Because of sin. Sin made the world dysfunctional. Sin makes us and our hearts, and our relationship with others, and because of the dysfunction and the brokenness of the world, and because of the dysfunction and the brokenness of people, including you and me, we have broken world plus broken people equals simple math formula. Trouble. Thank you. Trouble. I mean, this is, this is basic math. I mean, if you get a broken world with seven or eight billion broken people, it's going to be some issues. Would you agree? So Jesus is like, hey, as long as you're in this world, you're gonna, you're, there's going to be bad days. As long as you're in this world, there's going to be things that go wrong. As long as you're in this world, things won't always even make sense. And today, honestly, my plan for today in dealing with such a difficult subject was to create a theological treatise and to share with you all the layers of complexity of suffering through the Bible and in our experience and why suffering happens. Is it God? Is it Satan? Is it you? Is it someone else? Like, what are the issues and how do we deconstruct the layers? And, and then I started reading the words of Jesus and I threw all that out. Uh, because in the text surrounding Jesus' statement, what you may not know, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble and tribulation, but what you may not realize is that those were some of the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples before he went to the cross. Now, we don't recognize this because it's kind of nestled into the end of the Gospel of John, but uh, John chapter 13 through 18, uh, Jesus is sitting with his disciples, most likely having the Last Supper on the night he's betrayed, and for five chapters he goes on about what's coming, and he tells them about what's coming, and he tells them, hey, if they hate you, don't worry, they hated me first. <laughs> and there's coming a day when they're actually going to kill you uh, and think they're serving God. Oh, and by the way, you know how you love me and I've been with you, I'm going away. And they're just sitting there listening to this going, what in the world is he talking about? And, and these words that we're going to be looking at today are literally the final statements before he prays his high priestly prayer and then goes to the garden and is arrested. And he tells the disciples as one of the final things he says, hey guys, you're going to have trouble, get ready. It's like, that's not very encouraging, Jesus. He knows He knows that the disciples that claim to love him and serve him and follow him, their faith, what they believe at the deepest level is about to be shaken to the core. And so let's back up a few verses. In John 16, um, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, look, after he tells them all this doom and gloom, he says, listen, um, I came from the Father. I came from heaven, and now it's time for me to go back there. 
And the disciples hear him say this, and they've been trying to figure it all out, so they clue in, and they're like, oh, okay, all right. And here's what they say in response, verse 29. The disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why, can we say these words together? We believe. That was not a good response, okay? Let's go back. All right, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. The disciples are claiming, based on what they've seen of Jesus' life, the things he said, we know who you are. You're the Son of God. You're the hope of the world. You're the Messiah that came to save us. You're the one in whom our hope rests because apart from you, nothing else can transform the world we live in. They understood in that moment, this is who you are. And they're like, we believe. So I would expect Jesus next to say, fantastic, finally. But he doesn't say that. Notice what Jesus says in response. Jesus answers them. Do you now believe? He questions what they say they believe. Honestly, I think the reason why Jesus does this is because we often think that beliefs are ideas in our head. And I'm beginning to think that maybe they're not. Those are called ideas in your head. Beliefs are something deeper than ideas in your head that you think are true. Beliefs are, are so, they're like the bedrock of your soul. They're so deep that they influence everything you think and they influence everything you do. That's what a belief is. And often people don't know what they believe. Oh, I believe this, I believe that. And then if you watch their life, you realize they live contrary to what they say they believe, which means they actually believe something else. And if someone ran into this room this morning, screaming hysterically, the world is going to end, Armageddon, it's coming tomorrow, and they're crying and they're rolling around on the stage, it'd be pretty convincing. And then if you followed them out of the, out of the gym, and you followed them, and they're sitting in Tim Hortons having a tea, talking with people, how's it going? And then they go down to the real estate office and buy some land. It's like, um, okay, the speech was really convincing, but clearly you don't believe what you're saying. This is why Jesus said things like this. You know a tree by its fruit. Forget about what people are saying. Watch what they do. Watch the fruit that's produced. Watch how they spend their money, how they spend their time, how they treat people. And just simply observing what they do, you will actually discover what they believe. Here, I would argue this. If you observe what you do, you might for the first time realize what you actually believe. And Jesus is like, do you really believe? Oh yeah, we do, we do. Jesus, we're on your side. We're, we're totally with you. Like we know who you are. Our faith is in you. Did you know that there's something like a genuine faith and a counterfeit faith. Genuine means it's the real article, and counterfeit means it looks like the real article, but it's not. And they have these shows, uh, what do they call it, uh, where they bring all the antiques, Antiques Roadshow. Surely you guys have seen it. And people, they buy junk at yard sales, and they bring it there hoping to win the lottery, basically. And so they bring this item, and they're like, here's this old bowl. And they, and they don't know, is this, is this worth nothing, or is it worth a lot? Is it special? They don't know. So what do they do? They bring it to someone who knows what they're doing, who can test it. And they bring it to someone, and they examine the thing, and they look at the characteristics, and they go, this is junk. You shouldn't have bought it. Or it's worth $30,000. It's one of a kind, and people dance and get all excited. But you don't often know what the genuine article is and what the imposter is until it's been tested. 
And I believe this is true, that you and I won't know if our faith is real. We may not even know what we truly believe until what we believe is tested. And in that moment, you begin to get some insight into what is going on. You won't know if your faith is genuine until it's been tested. I'd also say this. Sometimes faith looks real in other people and even in ourselves, and and it isn't. And you don't know until it's tested, right? It's like sometimes you can judge a book by its cover, and you can judge it wrongly. Have you ever done this? This is why you got to be careful judging other people. Oh, their faith isn't real. How do you know? What you have to do is wait until the end of the story, and then you'll discover whether it was real or not. Anybody ever heard of Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice? Yeah, like if you ever read the book or watched the movies, like Mr. Darcy just seems like a jerk. And you want to write him off at the beginning. And then it turns out in the end, he's the really good guy, right? And she falls in love with him. It's so sweet. Uh, I like to think of myself as Mr. Darcy, to be honest with you. Uh, because many, many years ago, I was in Bible college and I was learning about Jesus and all that stuff. And I'm literally sitting after class one day and I see across the way this beautiful young lady that I was interested in. Her name was Jessica. She's sitting in the front row this morning. Um, and I remember I saw her and I thought, okay. And it took me a while to work up the courage. But I was, I was convinced, like, this was the day. I was going to ask her if she would go to Tim Hortons for a hot chocolate with me. And uh, so I got up out of my chair and I made my way over to her. She seemed like she was trying to get away. But anyway, I did, I did, finally, I did finally get to speak with her. And I, and I just told her, I said, hey, I've, I've noticed you. And I think you, you seem like a great person. I'd like to get to know you better. And would you come out for a drink at Tim Hortons with me someday after class? She looked at me and just said no, just point blank, like just point blank no, and which is surprising. Now that I know her better, she's so sweet and kind to everybody. I, I don't think I've ever seen her be that rude to anyone else. And, and I literally, I'm like, I, I just looked at her. I'm like, really? And she's like, no. And so I don't give up easily, right? And so I just said, well, can, do you mind telling me, just for future reference, why you wouldn't just go have a drink with me? And she said, that's easy. You're immature. And I, and I thought to myself, fair enough, people change. And I said, if, if I were less immature, would you then go out on a date with me? No. So uh, anyway, it worked out. The point is, is you, you don't know. You, 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 see, you see someone and you think you got it figured out, but sometimes time, time will tell. And that's true of our faith. There's people you know, in church, people in Christian community all the time that claim to have faith. They're doing all the right things. Everything looks great. Uh, but in the end, you have to look to the end of the story and see what happens because faith, uh, you won't know if it's genuine until it's been tested. And that's essentially what Jesus is going to say. He says, do you really believe? The disciples are like, yeah, we do, we do. Do you really believe? Yeah, yeah, we do, we do. Here's what he says next. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. He's like, you guys are saying you believe in me, you're with me, and literally within the hours, same day, you're all going to leave me alone and run and hide. Who would have saw that coming? See, they didn't know how strong their faith was. They didn't know how, how firm they believed in him until all of a sudden they saw him being arrested and they didn't know what to do and they ran. The disciples are, are so perplexed with all the things that they see happening on this day. I mean, up to this point, they had been walking with Jesus and everything was up into the right. Everything was going great. I mean, just the previous week, Jesus had walked into Jerusalem with crowds waving palm branches, and they're like, this is the best. It's all coming. It's all going to happen. Jesus is going to become king. And all of a sudden, he's arrested. He's being falsely accused. He's going to be flogged. 
and then crucified on a cross, and they're standing in the shadows going, we didn't see any of this coming. None of it. And in that moment, they did what you and I might do. They must have begun to question, like, where's God? Because we thought, as is very common for people to think, like, if God was truly with us, then certainly we wouldn't be experiencing this. And so therefore, and again, this is all on this idea that bad things won't happen. So it's like now something's happening and they're going, maybe God isn't with us. Maybe he was never with us to begin with. I know none of you would think this. This is for your friend. You know, you could take notes and bring it back and talk to them. Because we think our faith is so strong. We think we're so secure in Jesus. And yet when trouble hits, everything gets shaken and tested. And that's exactly what's happening to the disciples. And, and if you've had thoughts, or if your friend has had thoughts, like, where's God? I can't believe he's forsaken me. Um, you're not alone. And tell your friend, they're not alone either. And if you've ever wondered to yourself, where are you, God? Um, you're not alone. The disciples were there. I mean, they were there. They, they had no idea which way was up or down. And we know this because not one of the disciples stood up after Jesus was laid in the tomb and said, listen, guys, I know this looks terrible. I know we thought Jesus would be with us forever, but I'm confident that somehow God will turn this terrible tragedy that we are currently experiencing into the most amazing victory the world has ever known, and they all shouted amen and had church. Nope. Nobody believed that. Nobody was standing in faith for that. Here's what's so amazing to me is the disciples, their faith was shaken, but not destroyed. It was shaken to the core. And in that moment, they were discovering what they truly believed, just like you and I will when trouble comes. But maybe the most encouraging part of all this for me was this, that Jesus was not surprised by their failure to believe. He literally told them, hey guys, here's what's about to happen. You're all going to scatter. You're going to leave me alone. He wasn't surprised. He's not surprised when you and I doubt him. Because he knows it's a broken world with broken people. He wasn't surprised about it. And here's the thing. He wasn't dependent on the disciples' faithfulness to keep him through the rough moments. And in the next verse, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to tell us what he held on to. He's going to tell us what he believed that allowed him to walk confidently towards the cross for you and for me. Here's what Jesus says. He says, even though you guys will forsake me, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus believed that his heavenly Father was with him at all times. That no matter what he went through, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, no matter what came, including death, including the cross, no matter what came his way, Jesus was like, I know the Father is with me. I am not alone. And it carried him through. And, And that was enough for him. His disciples all turned away. I would have been like, I give up. I quit. This leadership thing is too hard. He's just like, nope. The Father is with me, and he moves forward. And here's what he says next, because he's going to turn this back to his disciples. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Jesus, like, in the same way that I know without a shadow of a doubt that at the root level of my belief, it's that my Father will never abandon me, that I am with him and he is with me. That was the thing that drove Jesus' thoughts and actions. And he didn't just believe it like it was in his head. He acted on it. And he says, just like I am confident the Father is with me, 
I, that if you are in me, you will have peace. What's he saying? He's saying that I want you to be just as confident that I will never leave or forsake you. That no matter what you go through, the good, the bad, the ugly, no matter what you go through, I am with you. You're not alone. You're never alone. And, And you won't know if you believe that or not until you go through something. Until that faith is tested. And so, he continues, and this is where um, we, we began. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. Stuff will go wrong in this world. But, and these are his final words, and then he's going to pray, and he's going to go to the garden and be arrested. But take heart. Or, some translations say, have courage. Others say, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's like, the problem that's led to the broken world, led to broken people is sin, and I'm about to conquer it. The result of sin is death, separation from God, and I'm about to defeat it. Jesus says, be of good cheer in spite of what you experience because I have overcome the world. And you know, I've often wondered, maybe you've asked this question, you know, why doesn't God just eliminate all the trouble, pain, and sin from the world? Like, if you just got rid of it, wouldn't that be great? The problem is, is that if he was to wipe sin off the face of the earth, we'd all get wiped out with it. And so, if you say, why doesn't he remove sin and suffering and pain? The short answer is, he's working on it. He's paid the price. He started the process. It begins in our hearts and works out of us into our relationships, into our communities, and into the world. It begins with the people. And he begins restoring us removing sin from us, and the process is underway. And I would have loved today, like as a pastor, I would have loved to stand up today and tell you why you're going through what you're going through, because I know there's people in this church suffering loss, suffering illness, suffering relationship problems, like there's a lot of people in our church. And I wish as a pastor I could stand up and be like, oh, here's the problem, fix that, and everything gets better. I can't do that. I don't have answers. And I, I grew up in churches sometimes, in a lot of different churches, there were all different answers, and they were way too simplistic. It's like everything you go through, it's God trying to teach you something. Everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my body's sick. What's God trying to teach me? He's trying to teach you something. Can God teach you something through suffering? Of course. Will he? Yes. Will your faith be strengthened? Of course. Is everything you go through God trying to like, I make my kids sick when I'm mad at them and I want them to change. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. It's crazy. But that it's too simplistic. Does God discipline his children? Yes, he does. Does he lead us through hard things and dark valleys so we can learn? Yes, he does. But it's not just that simple. Other churches I went to, the, the, all the problems in the world are the devil. It's this unseen Satan running around with his fiery darts, firing them at you from everywhere. It's like, you're just like, where's the devil? He's in that bush. No, he's in that person. I know he is. And you're just looking for Satan everywhere. And it's so simple. It's like every problem, every trouble that you'll ever face, it's always the devil. That's also way too simplistic. We do have an enemy. He does want to destroy us. But here's another layer of complexity. Now I'm getting into my, my, my thing I wasn't going to teach on. But anyways, here's another layer of complexity. How about the stupid things you and I do? You ever suffered because you made stupid decisions? <laughs> All the t- most of the time, Right? And then I make a stupid decision, I do something that hurts a relationship, or I make a bad choice, and then I'm like looking to heaven going, why God? And he's looking down at me like, I, I didn't do it. I'm not trying to teach you anything. I'm serious. 
right? And Satan's over there in an easy chair going like, this is way too easy. Like, I don't even have to do anything. This guy's like ruining his own life. This is, this is amazing. Um, and, then, and then there's like, okay, another layer. How about, have you ever suffered trouble because of stupid decisions someone else made? Of course you have. If you have parents, <laughs> right? Like people, let's be honest, there's no perfect parents, so we're all suffering, and then we, it's payback. Our kids have to suffer at our hands. The idea is like we all suffer because of all these reasons. And the point of this, Jesus isn't like, hey, let's figure out why the suffering came. Let's figure out what you can do to get rid of the suffering. That's not even the point. He's like, whatever you're going through, the trouble in this life, the most important thing is, do you know who's on your side? Where's your faith really? And in the difficult moments and in those trials and in those things you don't understand, the whole idea is that our faith would turn towards God. The whole world was destroyed by two individuals, our parents, which I talked about, Adam and Eve, who did not trust God. That when the serpent said, hey, did God really say that? They went, hmm, I wonder if God really has our best in mind. I, I, wonder, if, I, I wonder if we wouldn't be better off if we did it our own way. And they, they made a decision to go in a direction that ultimately destroyed them and destroyed the world in which they lived. And here's the amazing thing, John, John the disciple who wrote down Jesus' final words in the Gospel of John later would write a letter to the churches. And here's what he says, and I want you to pick up the themes. He says this in John, 1 John 5, verse 4. He writes this, Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. That's good news. This is the victory that has overcome the world. You will never get sick. No, I misread that. This is the victory that has overcome the world. You will never have financial problems. Wait, no, I got that wrong again. This is the victory. I'm doing this on purpose. I'm trying to make a point. Uh, This is the victory that has overcome the world. Your relationships will always be smooth. No, he says, let me tell you about the victory that we have in Jesus. Our faith. Like, take everything else off the table. What you believe about God. And your relationship with him is the bedrock. It's the foundation of everything we do. And you'll discover what you really believe when you go through difficulty. It will, it will be squeezed out of us. And, and I wanted to look at the words from the last worship song that we sang. And I didn't plan that we were going to sing Cornerstone. But I wanted to look at the chorus. Because in that song as we were singing that, I, I was reminded of these, these words of Jesus. And the song says, Christ alone cornerstone. The cornerstone is at the base of the foundation. It is the first rock that goes down and everything else is built upon and from that stone. And the writer of this hymn says, Christ has to be the cornerstone of our lives. You won't know if he is or not until you go through some stuff and then you realize you've been leaning on the wrong rock. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. God never promised we wouldn't go through difficult things. He promised he'd be with us. He promised us peace. He promised um, that we would endure. And he promised that we'd be with him in heaven. Here's the next thing he says in, this, in, the, in the hymn. You can go to the next slide. Through the storm, he is Lord. Lord of all. Maybe I'll finish with this statement. Um, we said earlier that you won't know if your faith is genuine, if it's real, until it has been tested. Here's... Here's the final idea that a faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. And regardless of what we experience in this lifetime, the goal is faith. The goal is do we really trust God? 
regardless of what we're going through. And again, I don't have answers for you. I'm sorry I don't. But I guarantee you, he is the answer. And if you put your faith and your trust in him and in him alone, the faith that comes through the test is a faith that can be trusted. And so if you'll join me, we're going to pray together. Father, thank you for the words of Jesus recorded by John. Thank you for the reminder, God, that we don't have to have all the answers. We won't ever have all the answers. If we had the answers, we would never have to trust you. God, thank you for the words of Jesus who reminds us that is our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our trust in him. Jesus, you said you would never leave or forsake us. And today, for those people in this room that are going through difficult things, may we trust in you. Not the outcomes, not our understanding, but would we trust in you today, God? Help us to do that. You weren't offended when the disciples doubted. You're not offended that we doubt, but God, would you help us to have faith in you, to trust that you are good and you only do what is best for us. And Lord, in spite of what we see, we know that you are with us, and we claim that today. In Jesus Thanks for Christ. listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next week.